we're studying a course here that I've taught in the School of Ministry a number of times and even did uh, a couple of years ago here in Renewing the Mind. And as I was praying, it was coming to me again during praise and worship that the, the purpose of this study is to give us understanding. The Bible talks about gaining understanding. Preaching is when we get inspired to go do what we're supposed to do. And we need preaching. We need to be inspired. We need to be motivated. But, but teaching gives us understanding. And God wants, us to, God wants you to understand how you work. He wants you to understand His principles. He wants you to even understand Him. There's no way we can understand all of God, but God wants us to know Him, not just to know who He is and know about Him. Psalm 103 says, Israel knew God's deeds, but Moses knew His ways. So God wants us to know Him and to have an understanding of Him and of His principles and of His Word, which is why He gives us His Word. And so part of the purpose of a teacher is to give us understanding. So the purpose of this course is to give us understanding of how our mind works and what God's Word says about that. And our key verse is in Romans 12 too, which says that we are, we, are to be, uh, we are not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove or establish what is the good, perfect, good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. And we've seen that that word principle in that verse tells us the first is something we're not to do. What we're not to do is to allow the pressures of life, of the world, the world system is really what that means. Allow that to pressure us so that we act like, talk like, and, and think like the world. Because although Satan could not stop you from getting saved, understand he couldn't stop you from getting... Think about that a second. If there's anything in your life he wanted to exercise power to stop. It was to stop you from getting saved. Well, think about that. If the, if, the, if the biggest thing he wanted to stop in your life was to keep you from getting saved and he couldn't stop that, then why do we think he could stop anything else when we're walking, cooperating with God? If he couldn't keep you from getting saved, then he's not as powerful as he would like. He's powerful, but not, when we, not once you come into the kingdom of God because the Bible doesn't talk about the power he exerts against Christians. It talks about using devices, wiles, and schemes and devices. You've got to use devices when you don't have the power. We've instead have been given authority over Satan and over all the power of the enemy, Luke 10, 19, so that nothing shall in any way harm us. The reason we don't experience it is we don't believe it and exercise it. And so I don't mean to get off on all that tonight, but I want you to see that so what he has to use is the pressure of the world systems. Pressure of persecution, pressure of, of just of, of life forcing in on you, pressure to conform and be like everybody else because there's tremendous pressure, especially as the church now, and it may well increase that we're to look like, act like, and talk like the world. And if we refuse to, they just want to shut us up inside a ear so we can't affect anybody else. But you can't shut up the kingdom of God. You can't stop the kingdom of God. The gates of hell will not prevail against His church. And, 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 and so we're, we're on the winning side. I read the end of the book. I cheated. I read the end of the book. I know we win. I was listening to somebody today on the radio and they were talking about how, you know, sometimes on a Sunday, and there was a preacher because they're preaching, they record the football game. And then they go home to watch it, but they've already found out who wins but they still watch it. But you know, somehow when his team gets behind and everything's going wrong, it doesn't bother him because he knows the end score. He knows they win in the end, so it doesn't matter how far they get behind, I know they win. I've read the end of the book. It's all recorded. It's on God's DVR. 
they, we win in the end. The devil loses in the end. And sometimes, you know, if you're just dealing with stuff, you need to go to the end of the book of Revelation and just read it to them. You know, you're telling me what's going to happen to me. Let me tell you what God says is going to happen to you. And it's not pleasant. Praise God. All right. So what we're learning is we've been learning about, and you know what, for some reason, my remote, whoops, my remote's not working. It's looking for Michael Liberty's iMac. I know it's back there. It was back there earlier. Try this one. All right. Well, I'm just going to have to have them do the slides. So uh, would you put that, if you start running it, just put play. The first slide should come up. There we go. All right. Just to review quickly. We're talking about renewing the mind. In order to renew the mind, you've got to understand what the mind's function is, what its purpose is. And we talked about the three parts of us. You are a spirit being. You, your spirit lives in a body. That's the part that we're most aware of. And you have a soul. And the reason for a soul is your spirit is, comes from the kingdom of God, God's kingdom. It's the spirit world. Your body comes from this natural world. It comes from the dust of this world. That's how God made the first body. And it, they cannot communicate with each other because spirit and body have no direct communication. So God gave you a soul, and that is the bridge to make up that gap. That is the bridge to make up that gap. Okay, go to the next. Hit, just hit. Okay. Your soul, which is the part of you we're talking about, is made up of three parts. Your emotions, your will, and your mind. Your emotions are your feeling. That's, the, 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 that's your fear, anger, love, you know, joy, all those things. Those are the flavor of life. They're also given to you as a, as a warning sign to let you know if something's wrong. Just as your, your emotions are to your soul, what your taste buds are to your body. Taste buds allow you to enjoy eating. It also tells you if what you've got in your mouth isn't safe and you may not want to swallow it. In the same way, your emotions help you to enjoy life, but they also are a warning, something's wrong. If you're, if you're feeling envious, if you're feeling afraid, if you're certain emotions that t- ought to tell you, well, wait a minute, something's off inside, I need to find out what it is. And then you have a will. Your will is the capacity that God gave you to decide. It really is the part of you that makes you like Him. No other being God created has a will like our will does. I know some animals can decide what food to eat, but they cannot make moral decisions. They don't have the capacity because man is the only being God made in his image. And then we have a mind, your soul as a mind, and that's your personality. It's your mind, your, it's your thoughts, your emotions, your, excuse me, your thoughts, your memories, your imaginations, and that's the part that we're going to look at. That's the part that we're now going to look at. Okay, so now look, go to the, hit the, just hit return. Okay. We've looked at the three roles of man. We looked, first of all, we looked back last week. We saw that man's made in God's image. God has three parts to him. The Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father is the one that wills things. It's his will that's carried out. It, it, it's, it's, he, is the, he is the primo. He is the number one. Everything is done for him. Then the Son, who is also part of God, but the Son is the part of it's responsible for carrying it out. So the Father's like a king in a kingdom. The son is like the prime minister or, or, the, or, the, or the chancellor, and he, he's responsible for grasping the king's will, and he's responsible for making sure it's done for carrying it out. In the service, it would be an executive officer on a ship. He's responsible for making sure that the captain's commands are carried out. 
And then you have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the physical agent that actually carries out the will of God in this earth directed by the, by the Son. And we went and saw that in the beginning, God wanted to create the heavens and the earth. The Newton Testament tells us they were created through the Son. He was the one that oversaw it. And in, in Genesis chapter 1, it says the Holy Spirit was hovering over the earth when God said, let there be. And He's the agent that carried it out. And then we saw that counterpart in us, spirit, soul, and body. The spirit, is when God made us, was the part of us that was in communion with God. God's will was expressed to and through the spirit. The soul was the part of man that was intended to figure out how to carry that will out. And then the body was the physical agent that carried it out on this earth. And then when Satan came in in Genesis 3 and tempted Eve to sin, the fall, what happens when the fall is this is now all put out of order. So now the, the soul, the, what he tempted Eve to do was to reason about God's commandment. And in reasoning about God's commandment, she elevated her soul above her spirit. And when you elevate your soul above your spirit, actually your body now is in rule because your soul is never meant to rule. It's going gonna, it's gonna to follow the dictates of either your flesh or your spirit, one or the other. And then we saw that when God restored this, when we're saved, Christ comes in, He pays for the sin, and He comes in as the second Adam and reestablishes that original divine order. So hit, 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 okay. So your spirit is now restored to dominion. It can now be led by God. Somebody that's not born again does not have God's life in them, in their spirit. And therefore their spirit man, they have a spirit man, but it's not in contact with God because it's not been born out of him. When you come to Christ, God comes inside of you, puts his spirit inside of you, and that spirit's in communion with God. Hit it again. And now you have a soul that's made to carry out the directions of your spirit. So your spirit gets some sense of what's right or wrong, and your mind immediately begins to figure out, how do I carry this out? And now hit it again. And your body is the physical agent to go and do that. So what we're going to begin to look at tonight, because these are the three parts of you, this is how they're intended to operate when you're born again, but the key to it is in the middle part, your soul, because it's made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. All right. I'm going to stop here and just go through some, some discussion here. So at, go to with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I want to show you what happens when you're born again with your mind, or is supposed to happen. 2 Corinthians, not 1 Corinthians. Verse 16. Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light of fiction is but for a moment, but it's working for us a more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. For while we, look, while we look not at the things that are seen, but the things that are not seen, for the things that are seen... That's the wrong scripture. It's 2 Corinthians 5. Excuse me. I didn't think that was right. Verse 16. Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we don't know Him that way any longer. So what... Paul is writing here is just as, you know, there was a day when Jesus walked on this earth and the disciples recognized him by looking at his flesh and they knew what his face looked like. I mean, we've had many artists try to draw it, but the disciples knew what it looked like because they were looking directly at him like I'm looking at Denny right now. 
And so they developed a relationship with him by identifying him according to what his body looked like. But then on the Isle of Patmos in Revelation, Jesus appears, this same Jesus appears to the same John that had laid his head on Jesus' chest at the Last Supper, and he doesn't look the same way. You don't see John running up to him and just putting his head on Jesus' shoulder. You see John falling down like a dead man. Because Jesus doesn't look the same way. He's now in his glorified form. And so what Peter, Paul is saying here is we don't look at Christ the way we looked at him anymore. Before we knew him according to the flesh. We knew him because the spirit being that was Christ was living in a human physical body. But he's not living in that human physical body anymore. He's now living in a glorified body. And now we can see him in all his glory, in all his majesty. We can see him that way now. In the same way, from now on, we don't regard anyone else according to the flesh either. So he's telling us as Christians, we're not to look at each other according to the flesh. We're not to look at each other according to the flesh anymore. Oh yeah, I know, I recognize it's Richard because I see his dark curly hair, but I don't regard what he's like according to the flesh. I don't regard what you're like if you're a Christian according to the flesh. Well, how are we to regard one another? Verse 17 says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The new creature isn't your flesh. It's the spirit man that was born again. So what Paul's saying is, we don't regard one another according to the body anymore. We -identify, your identity isn't determined by your body anymore. It's determined by the real being that you are, that spirit man. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. And all things, literally it means in the Greek, is a new species of being, one that's never existed before. So when you came to Christ, you became a new person. Your body stayed the same. If you had curly hair before you came to Christ, you had curly hair that moment after you came to Christ. If you were six feet two when you came to Christ, after you, you were born again, your body's still six feet two. But you're a whole lot different on the inside. You're not the same person on the inside. You're a new creature. You change families. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. You need to let that settle into you. Because you may walk around with memories of your past, but that's not how God sees you. See, if he tells us to see each other this way, that means God already sees each other, see us this way. So God doesn't regard you according to the flesh. Hey, I remember Joe. I remember him. I remember him 30, 40 years ago. I remember what he was like. No, God looks and says, no, I know Joe. Joe's this new creature. I don't remember that past. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. All things have passed away. You know, we wouldn't say that somebody's died. We say they passed away. You need to hold a funeral for the old things in your life. You know, we really ought to hold a funeral sometime. I mean, when something's dead, we bury it, don't we? I mean, it may be fluffy, you know. Fluffy may have come to the end of her, you know, service as your dog or your cat. And you bury Fluffy, don't you? Because Fluffy's dead. And I don't mean to disregard Fluffy, but... Your old man's dead. You, some of you need to have a funeral. I'm serious. You need to invite some of your family in and say, look, take some of those old pictures of you and say, remember her? She's dead. 
So we're going to bury her. We're going to have a little party, acknowledge that she's gone, and then we're going to move on because I'm a new creature in Christ. That's how God sees you. But the part of you that's changed is the spirit man on the inside of you. Romans 6 says that the old self, let's turn there briefly. Romans 6, verse 6 says, Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him. Well, it wasn't your body that was crucified. It's still around. Your spirit man died. This is what Romans 6 is all about. Because Romans 4 talks about, about, about being saved by faith. Romans 5 talks about this grace in which we stand now because of what Christ has done for us. And then Romans 6 says, well, some people say that because we're saved by grace... And, and, and that therefore we ought to sin all the more because the more because when we sin, grace abounds, so we ought to sin even more, so grace will even more abound. And Paul says, you don't understand it. And then Romans 6 talks about, don't you know what happened with that grace? You died when you came to Christ. That old man died. And that's what he's saying here in Romans 6, verse 6, knowing this, that our old man was crucified with him, with Christ, that the body of sin may be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. Now go to the next slide up here. As a result of our salvation, hit the first one, your spirit has been changed. That's what we're talking about. You've been born again, the real you, because your spirit is the essence of who you are. Your spirit has been, not will when you get to heaven, it has been changed, and the way it's changed is God is now living in you. Your spirit man is a child of God, born of God. In John chapter 1, Paul, John writes that as many as believed in him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. That Greek word of, the Greek word for of means out of. So God, to those that would believe in Christ, God gave us the authority or the right to be born out of God. God. And that's the spirit man in you that's born out of God. That part of you changed in an instant. Didn't have to develop, didn't have to work up. Uh, Peter says uh, in, in Second Peter, he says that, that we've been given all things that pertain to life and godliness. Chapter 1, First Peter talks about that we've been given the divine nature. God's nature is in you. Well, if you're His child, that's not strange to think you have His nature. Say, well, if I have His nature in me, I'm not acting like it, and I know some other people that aren't acting like it. That's why we're doing this course. So now we're in a state where our spirit man can dominate our flesh. That dominion has been restored in us. So our spirit has been changed. Hit the next one. But our body has not been changed. If you noticed, it's still the same as it was. I mean, it may be older, it may be thinner, it may be not quite so thinner. But it's the same body. If you had white skin when you saved, you still have white skin. If you had dark skin when you got saved, you still have dark skin. If you had no hair when you got saved, you didn't suddenly get hair. 
Because your body didn't change. So your spirit man's been born anew inside your old body. And your old body still has the same memories that it's had before you were born again. It still has the taste of all those things you did wrong. And it still wants to do those things wrong because it didn't change. You following me? This is why Paul says in Romans chapter 12 verse 1, make your body a living sacrifice which is, which is your reasonable service in light of what God has done. Romans 6 is talking about now that you've been born again, your spirit man has been given because it's born of God. It now has the right to, and the power to have dominion in you. But it's not going to happen automatically because your body's not going to cooperate. It still wants to do what it wanted to do before you were born again. And I'm sure if we took time tonight for every person in here that was honest, we could get a testimony of how your body still wants to do at times what it used to want to do. You're just walking along someday just in sweetness. You've had such a wonderful time reading your Bible in the morning. You're just filled with the love of God. And you're running a little late and you pull into work and somebody parked in your parking spot. You're rushing because you're late and you get to the elevator and somebody's standing there and they push clothes right in front of you. What does your flesh want to do? It doesn't want to say... Oh, I love them. I hope they're so blessed. (laughs) Who wants to get back at people? Because your flesh is still the same old rotten flesh you had before you were saved. But remember, your flesh now doesn't have the right to control you unless you give it that right. So your spirit's been completely changed. It has the life of God, the power of God, the wisdom of God inside of you to to rule and to reign and carry out God's will. Your body's still the same old body. And give me the third one. Your soul is now your responsibility to change. That's why Paul says, be therefore transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I, I mentioned, I showed you last week this walk I've done before. That you're going along in life and you're not saved and all of a sudden you're, you know, you're, you're headed towards hell and you, re- yeah, you, read, you suddenly realize you need to get saved. You turn around right where you are and you start the process of renewing your mind to understand what it is that God's done for you, who God is, the rights that God has given to you, all the things that the Word of God begins to teach us, you begin to find out who God really is, what God's really like. Many of you struggle, many of us struggle, because the image we have of a father is not an image that lines up with what God's like. And so you have to renew your mind to who God is, what God is like. Even if you had the wonder, most wonderful father in the world, as great as he was, he's still not as great as the God that's your father in heaven. So we have to renew our mind to who God is. Who is this one that now I'm a child of? What's my father like? What's Jesus like? I can actually have a relationship with him. He's not just some figure on a cross at the, in the front of the church, but he's a real living soul being that I can relate to and I can know, and he lives in me through the Holy Spirit. And what is it he's done with me? What does it mean to be born again? What does all that mean? And what is this promise and hope I have of heaven? These are things we now have the responsibility of doing something with because remember, your soul is the part of you that will affect how much of your spirit is able to control because your soul is the part that oversees 
the direction of what's going on. So if your spirit's been changed, an immature Christian is somebody whose spirit's been changed and nothing else has changed. So they're saved, they're born again, God's in them, but it's not making any difference because they still think the same way, they still talk the same way, and therefore because of that their body still acts the same way. So on the outside nobody can tell any difference. They just blend in at work, they blend in everywhere they go, they look just like the world, and that's exactly why Satan wants us to conform to the world so that nobody can see what God's like through us. And we're going to see that more clearly as we, as we go on tonight. Okay, now, so we're in the process of bringing our mind into the state of salvation that was paid for at the cross. Going back to the first columns we showed, we're in the process of taking what is on the legal side, what God has done for us and in us, and bringing that to the outside, the vital sign where we're experiencing it so everyone around us can see and receive the benefit of what God has done. When your spirit was born again, our mind does not turn around. It starts going, it turns around, it starts going in a different direction. Okay. Now, there's a battle going on in case you haven't noticed. Both God, we talked about this in the beginning. Back in Romans 12, 2, it says that we are to be, tra- we're not to be conformed to this world, but we're to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove. Remember that part? We may prove what is the good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. So we're not just to renew our minds so that we can enjoy a wonderful, bountiful life in the kingdom of God. We are to do that, but God has a purpose. God, there's a, remember I talked to you about this, and I think of it as a trial because of my background as a lawyer. But God, there's a great, there's a great battle going on, a, 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 a spiritual battle going on, uh, between God, the forces of evil, and the forces of darkness, or forces of light. I mean, we see this in movies. It's just they don't put God and the de- devil in them. You know, may the force be with you. And then there's the dark side, right? And, and, and you know, the battles to keep them from going to the dark side. And that's good and evil. But in the reality, it's God's kingdom of light, and Satan is the perverter to the kingdom of darkness. And they're both in this cosmic battle, which we saw briefly. We don't know a lot about it, but in Ephesians 2, it talks about displaying to the angels, that the church would display to the angels what the grace and goodness of God is like. So we are witnesses, not just to people that aren't saved, but witnesses of the goodness of God, the grace of God, the love of God. And so... But that can only be expressed, remember, in this world, in this realm of life, in the natural realm, things can only be expressed through a body. Because I talked to you about, you know, this is why the demons, when Jesus was going to cast the legion of demons out of the madman of Gadara, they pled, don't just let us go through waterless places, don't send us back to hell, hey, how about those pigs over there? Can you send us in? Would you send us into the pigs? Because demons have to. Satan, in order to express himself, to do his work in this life, has to work through a body of some kind. Which is why he. This is why Paul says in Ephesians chapter six, when he talks about spiritual warfare, understand this: you don't wrestle against flesh and blood. So what Paul is saying, the person that you think 
is the causing the biggest trouble, there's a spirit using that person. It's not them, but they needed that person in order to annoy you, to cut you off. They needed that person in order to persecute you. So Satan needs the, and his demonic forces, in order to do his work, needs human beings that will cooperate with him. On the same token, God needs people's bodies in order to carry out His will unless He does something supernatural. And I think I referred to this before, but it's very interesting in Acts, I think it's chapter 10, when the, when the, when the, the church is open, the door is open to the Gentiles, and you have Cornelius, who is a Roman officer, who is over on the coast and he's been praying, seeking God, and he gives to the, he gives to the local synagogue, and he, he's, a, he's a devout man, but he's a Gentile. He's not a Christian. He's not a, not a Jew. And Peter, over in Joppa, I think that's where it was, Peter's over there praying about lunchtime, waiting for them to serve lunch, and a vision, he has a vision of a sheet coming down, holding unclean animals in it, and a voice speaks to him and says, Eat. And he says, I can't eat that. Those are unclean. I've never touched anything unclean. And three times that happens, and then an angel speaks to him and says to him, I want you to go. You're going to find men coming. They're going to ask you to go to a man named Cornelius. I want you to go to him and tell him the words of life. You've got an angel appears to Cornelius and tells him to go send for the men to send for Peter. Now, wait a minute. You've got an angel over here speaking to Cornelius. And you got an angel over here speaking to Peter, telling him to go. Why didn't the angel just tell him? I mean, why go get Peter? Why didn't the angel just... If God has something to tell Cornelius, why didn't he just send the angel? Because God can't do that. He needs people to communicate his message to people. This is why people say, well, how could God... Let so many people go to hell that haven't heard the word. He's not letting them go. He needs people to go tell them. And so God needs us to express Himself also. Now go to the next slide. And here's what we're getting to. Remember your, mind, your, your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. Your emotions, we know what that is. We know what your mind is. But your will is the part that they're after. Remember I told you the story about the basketball coach growing up I had? And he was trying to teach us. Teach, I want, not me, I wasn't one of the players. I was the, I was the guy that picked up the towels. And, and he, but I remember this principle where he talked about that, that when you're defending against the guy with the basketball, don't pay attention to the basketball because he can, or his hands because he can fake this way and go this way. And if you're watching the basketball or you're watching his hands, when he goes this way, you're going to try to get ahead of him. So you go step where the ball is and he'll move around you and just leave you like a fool going in the wrong direction. He says, don't follow his eyes because he can look this way and go this way or pass this way. Don't follow his head because he can throw his head this way but still go this way. He says, don't even follow his feet because he can put his foot out this way and go this way. He says, the one thing he can't fool you with is right here, right in the middle where his belly is because that's the center of gravity. And he can't, anywhere that center of gravity goes, that's where he's going to go. And that's what your will is like. That's what your will is like. You will never do anything that you don't will to do. 
You'll never do anything that you will not will to do. Now understand this, and I don't want to get off in this too much, but there's a difference between wishing something and willing to do it. Many people wish to do great things, but they don't do them. It's only people that will to do them that actually do them. The word, when Jesus says in Matthew 7, 7, ask and you'll receive. So many people say, well, I've asked and I didn't receive. The question is, did you really ask? Asking there in the Greek doesn't mean saying words. It means having a heartfelt, purposeful desire and demand for. A child does not come to you and just wish something. They want it. They know what they want. My granddaughter's already planning her Christmas list. They were with us on Saturday, and we were talking at, when, uh, at breakfast, and she said, I'm starting my Christmas list now. And she thinks big. And it's not a wish list. It's what she wants. She's not afraid to ask for what she wants. And so the will is what, the will is what controls what you'll do. And your emotions affect your will, and your mind affects your will. And Satan will work on your emotions, and he'll try to work on your mind, but what they're after is your will. And there's a well-known book out there called The Battlefield of the Mind. And that's true. The battlefield is your mind, but the battle's for your will. I'll say that again. The battle's fought in your mind. But what the battle's for is your will. And Satan's very subtle at breaking down your defenses to get at your will. That's why he'll bombard you, try to wear you down, tire you out. Because when you get to the point where you're emotionally tired and you're mentally tired, your resistance is broken down and you're more vulnerable to just give in. And giving in is when you switch your will over to do something else. Um, it's not worth fighting it, and he'll bombard your mind with thoughts like, you're never going to make it, you're too tired, you're too old, you're too young, this has been going on too long, you're, you know, you've never succeeded at this before, you've never been healed before, you've never done this before, you've never that, you've never that. He's bombarding your mind to stir up your emotions to affect your will. And if you know what he's after, you can gird up your will. But this is why the mind is so important, because the mind affects your will. But I want you to understand tonight, the battlefield is in your mind, because that's where it's fought. It's fought in your thought life. It's not even in your emotions. Your emotions affect your thinking, but you will not do anything unless it goes through your mind. Okay? So Satan wants to, needs to affect your will. And God needs to affect your will. Okay, everybody with me so far? Okay. Now, so both God and Satan want to express their will through us. And since we've each been given us free will, and that's the center of our soul, no one has the right to make you choose. God cannot violate your will, and Satan cannot violate your will. I don't want to really get off in this, but you know, then you get into people that, that believe in you know, predestination because, well, God's sovereign. So if God's sovereign, then how can I have a sovereign will? 
And the answer is because the sovereign God gave you one. Out of his sovereignty, he gave you a will. And he will honor and respect your will because if he violates it, it's no longer a free will. All right, we could spend weeks on that, but we're not going to. Okay. Because your will is the part of you that determines what's going to happen, it is the focus of the battle. The battleground is the mind, but the battle is for your will. Now here's the next principle, and there's, there's no slide for this. This is very important, because we're talking about getting in your... No, no, we're not going to go there yet. So for, don't look at the slides, look at me now. We're still learning how to work all this. Very important principle in this course. Your mind is a gate that determines what's going to get down in your spirit and what's going to come out of your spirit. Your mind is the gate that determines what's going to get down inside of your spirit, what's going to get sown into your spirit, and also when something from God comes up out of your spirit, your mind discerns what you're going to do with it. And we're all familiar with this. We're all familiar with this. Your mind controls what goes into your heart. Your mind accepts or rejects everything you hear, accepts or rejects everything you hear, see, feel, or taste. If your mind accepts it, it goes down into your spirit. If your mind rejects it, it never gets inside of you. If what you hear does not line up with what your mind sees or agrees with, your mind's capable of holding it, but it won't let it down inside. I call it my uh, uh, shelf. I put some things on the shelf. I'll give you an example of this. There have been some, I'm just going to be honest with you, there have been some teachers that I've listened to for years. I didn't literally listen to them, that was the issue. But I had a preconceived idea of where they were coming from. And as a result, I couldn't receive from them. I couldn't receive from them. And the moment I hear their voice, I could fear my mind shut down. Oh, the words would go in here, but they didn't get past here. And a while ago, God began to deal with me about that. And says, you understand, son, that you're predetermining, you're predetermining, you're judging ahead of time what I might want to say to you through somebody just because you are, are, have already decided where they're coming from, certain uh, doctrines that they have believe or certain things like that. He says, I've spoken through a donkey before. And when I saw some attitudes I had in my heart, I really had to repent because I realized I was blocking out avenues that God might have to allow Him to minister to me and speak to me. So I purposely began to change some of those attitudes. And sometimes, I mean, it may be a personal thing with somebody. It, it was just not comfortable with me. And I didn't like some of the attitudes I began to see. Don't look at me like that. Because <laughs> then you're doing the same thing. No, I'm kidding. And what I found is, as I began to let those aside, I began to hear things from some people and be blessed by some teachings that I would never have let in before. And the point is, my mind blocked it blocked it.
I had a situation, I'll get a good example of this. Years ago, um, when we were first saved, we had uh, uh, friends that actually helped lead us to the Lord. He was a pastor, and uh, this was back in the 70s. And uh, they were going to go, he and his family were going to go uh, on a vacation to Florida, and uh, so I was going to drive them to the airport, the whole family, and I drove their station wagon and get to the airport, and he says, uh, so I was going to keep their car at our house until they, and I was going to pick them up when they came back. He says, oh, by the way, uh, there's some tapes in the back. You know, you may want to listen to them if you want. So I said, fine. So I drove back, and, you know, a couple of days, I know, it was, we were gone, my wife was gone for, it was over July 4th weekend. My wife and our two kids then we had, had gone to visit her parents in Ohio, and I was home alone for July 4th weekend because I had some work I had to do. And I'm sitting around probably on July 4th, and you know what? I don't know what to do. Oh, I got those tapes. And I went and picked up those tapes, and all I could think of is I'd heard this guy from Texas on the radio with his Texas accent, and I'm just being honest about where I was at the time. I'm not there now. But I had a typical northeastern attitude of somebody from the south or the southwest, that if they spoke with a twang, they weren't educated, and they were dumb, and I wasn't going to listen to them. I'm embarrassed to say it, but that's what I was. And all I could think of is, if that's that guy Copeland that I hear on radio, I can't believe it. So I picked it up, and guess who it was? It was Kenneth Copeland. It was a series called The Great Exchange. And I put that first tape in. I got nothing else to do. I'm, I'm caught, kind of. And I listened to this, and the more I listened to it, the madder I got. I said, that's just not godly. I can find And I started tearing through my Bibles to find scriptures, to find out it was wrong. I was so mad when I finished it. I plugged it in and read it again. I rewound it and pushed it again. I went through that tape four or five times that day. Angry every time I went through it. Years later, when the Lord was teaching me this, he took me back to that. He said, let me ask you a question, son. You didn't agree with him now. I said, no. He says, um, and you were angry. I said, yeah. He says, then why did you listen to it again? <laughs> he says, you didn't just listen to it once. You listened to it four times. Why did you keep listening to it if it was so wrong? Because I know God's trying to teach me something. And then I realized, because somewhere down inside, what he was saying resonated down in here. But was, what was causing me fits wasn't down in my spirit. What was causing me fits were this piece of wet meat between my two ears. Because he was saying things that confronted religious training that I had been raised up with. And because it ran into that religious training, my mind kept shoving it out and not receiving it. And so what happened is, but, but my spirit... But, but shoving it out, but as I would, every time I would listen to it, some little bit would begin to get in, and it would resonate inside of me, and so that's why I would listen to it again. But my mind blocked out, and for, for a number of years, I couldn't listen to him until finally I began to mature a little bit and realize the issue is me, not him. Your mind is the gateway to your spirit. 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says, Satan blinds the, mind, the eyes of the unbeliever. Satan blinds the eyes. That's not the physical eyes. It's the spiritual eyes, the eyes of your mind, the eyes of your understanding that Paul prays that be opened. He blinds their eyes so that they cannot see. They cannot see whose mind is blinded that they may not believe 
lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. He has to blind their eyes, confuse them so they don't see it. In Matthew chapter 15, verse 6. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. He's talking to the Pharisees there. He says, your traditions, which is your structured way of thinking, have made the commandments of God of no effect. Imagine that. To take the commandments of God, the Word of God, and make it of no effect. He said, man's traditions, his established way of thinking, can make the Word of God of no effect in somebody's life. Why? Because the mind blocks it out. The mind blocks it out. So when we're talking about changing, bringing this change that God put on the inside and bringing it to the outside, the mind is critical because it determines, first of all, how much of it's going to get in. There are even some of you tonight here sitting me, you're getting different degrees of this are getting in. Some of you are sitting there and your mind's distracted by what you've got to do tomorrow or what you did today, so you're not paying attention. In Matthew 13, in the, in the, sower, the, the, the parable of the sower, Jesus said, this is the most important thing. If you need to understand this principle, if you're going to understand everything, because it's talking about how the Word of God works. And the first seed, which is the Word of God, the Word of the Kingdom of God, was sown, and it was sown on, it was sown on the road. It didn't get into the ground. And, and the birds came down, and they took it before it could even take root. And he said, that's where Satan blinds their understanding so that they do not understand the Word. If I stood up here and spoke to you in some strange language, it wouldn't ever get in, would it? Because your mind, it has to go through your mind to get down in your spirit. Now, I've heard people say, well, I can sleep in church, but it's still going into my spirit. No, it's not. <laughs> no, it's not. Because <laughs> while you're asleep, you're dreaming something else. All right. And then the last part of this principle is your mind is not only the gate that controls what goes into your heart, it also controls what comes out of your spirit. If your spirit tells you something that doesn't fit in with the image you have of yourself, you will reject it. If your spirit tells you if you're reading the Word of God and it says you're the righteousness of God in Christ and you're, that resonates in your spirit, your mind is going to have to handle that. And it will either accept that or it will reject that. I know this is true. I know if you're honest, everyone in here has had the experience of you just suddenly know something in here you ought to do. That's God. And what happens? The moment you think about it, what happens? Because your mind has to think to carry it out. You know, I need to call so-and-so. Or I need to, you know, maybe we should t to bake, make some cookies and take them across to our neighbor because they're going through a rough time or something like that. Your mind has to get involved in doing it, but then if your mind starts thinking about it too much, you can talk yourself out of it. Well, you know, it's hard. It's, it's cold outside. It's, I'll do it tomorrow. All of that is your mind doing what Eve did in the garden, reasoning about what your spirit's telling you to do so you could stop God in you from coming out 
So your mind is critical. It is a gate that determines how much of the Word of God can get down inside of you and work, and it's a gate that determines how much of the life of God can come out of you and affect other people. So we're going to begin to look at the process of how the mind works, because in order to renew it, you now not only have to understand why it's been given to us and what its role is, but you've got to also understand how it operates. And what we're going to begin to look at next time is not a technical operation of the brain, because we're going to talk about the operation of the mind. The mind and the brain are not the same thing. The brain is a physical organ. The mind is a facility that God gave you in order to, co- in order for, to cooperate and carry out the leadings of your spirit. Let's pray. Father, we trust tonight that as you have ministered your word and you have, that you have made things clear to us that we may leave here tonight with understanding. Father, your creation of man is ingenious. It is incredible. It is the most amazing creation that we know of that you've made. And the mind is perhaps the greatest part of it. Scientists still are trying to figure it out and they may never do that. But Father, we ask you to give us understanding of our mind. And as we've heard various principles today, as we prepare to leave from this place and go about our lives, may your Spirit bring back to us things we've heard to give us understanding, not just in the context here, but understanding in our own lives about how our own minds work. That we may recognize those instances where our mind has blocked out things that you've tried to tell us or where our mind has blocked out your spirit in us from accomplishing what you wanted us to accomplish. Father, help us to understand the importance of the mind and then prepare us to go on and begin to to understand how it operates so that we can be in control of our mind and not our mind and our flesh in control of us. For that grace, we thank you in Jesus' name.